that. But just a reminder, you know, we, we support a, a good team of missionaries. Missions is at the heart of what we do here. And if you're interested in learning more about some of those missionaries we support, like Alex and Lynette, we do have a book in the back. It's a prayer guide. You can read about these missionaries and, and the work that they're doing and just be more in tune to how you can be praying for them. So uh, we are going to get into our message today, uh, our, our last of our Proverbs uh, sermons this summer. And uh, before we do that, there's a couple other items we can pray for very, very quickly. Uh, there's prayers, that wonderful moment as a community, as it come around the needs of, of those uh, around us. Uh, one of them is uh, Peg Thomas had a little fall on her bike yesterday, and little might be understand, uh, understating it. So she is in the hospital right now. She may be watching right now. So uh, we're thinking about you, Peg. Uh, she has a broken clavicle and a separated uh, collarbone, from what I understand, and uh, a fractured hip in three spots. So, uh, you know, I, as you know, I had a pretty good spill on my bicycle a few years back, and she well outdid me. So uh, in the competition, Peg, you won. But uh, we'll be praying for her because there's just a lot, uh, a long road to recovery with this. And so um, any ways we can support them, I'm, I'm sure that we'll be made aware and we'll communicate that as time goes on. But also this Saturday is the funeral for uh, Terry's sister, Laura. Uh, we had prayed about that a few weeks back. So that will be here at uh, Maple Plain Community Church Saturday at 11. So just another great time to be praying uh, for that family. So pray with me before we start our sermon today on those things. So. And so, God, we do, we do pray for Peg now and the, the, um, the recovery that's ahead. We are thankful, first of all, that it wasn't worse. It can always be worse in these kinds of situations. So uh, we do pray, though, for the team of doctors that's wondering uh, how to approach this. And it, it appears surgery isn't an option in some cases. So I just pray, God, that you would heal her through this. And in uh, and, and all of this, in all of the, the pain and the hardships and the burdens that come with this, uh, God, would you use these things to bring uh, Peg and Ira closer to you and the team around them and all who are involved. May you be glorified in this, even through the pain and the difficulties. But we just pray for, uh, God, just a, an absence of that pain and a relief and a rest for, for Peg in this time. Uh, we also pray for the uh, family of Laura and uh, the, the funeral that's coming up this Saturday. Uh, in this time, God, may you just give rest or give peace and comfort to the families that are grieving. But again, in this, as she professed faith in you, may you be glorified above all else that the hope of heaven can drown out the sorrows of earth and that you would, again, just, just be glorified, that you'd be working in the hearts of those who are coming. And so guide all of that as we uh, prepare and plan for that as well. But as we turn our attention to your word, and uh, as we finish up the Proverbs series today, as we talk about work, work ethic, uh, God, may you just speak to us your wisdom, and may we apply it to our lives and, and, and come to a deeper understanding of all that you have for us in life. And in that, God, uh, may we just grow closer to you, to know your heart and in your will, and to live that out. So God, through this time, just speak through these words and touch all the hearts that are hearing it. And we pray this all. In your name, amen. Amen. Well, happy Labor Day weekend to all of you. I'm actually pretty impressed. We have a good crowd here today with, I know, many people out camping and going to the cabin and, and taking advantage of that three-day weekend. But I thought it fitting, uh, be fitting to talk about work on Labor Day weekend. And it's a weekend that's often filled with rest and relaxation, but it's 
really a weekend that celebrates all of the work in the industry that makes life possible. So no matter what you're doing this weekend, it's possible because of the work of others. But this isn't something that we invented. It's not something that we perfected. But, but actually, work is God's design for the world. It's what he expects of people. And there's a, a mentality and a spiritual approach to work that God desires for us. He, he has plenty of wisdom about work. And we're going to be looking at a little bit of that in the Proverbs today. But when we talk about work, we're not just talking about jobs, because there's many here who no longer work, who are retired. There's people in different places of their career paths. Maybe you're deep into a career. Uh, Maybe you're just working part-time jobs to make ends meet. Some are high school students who aren't even thinking about a job. Uh, But work is something that it's no matter what we're doing, in the home, out of the home, in the schools, it's something we all uh, are expected to do with a certain mentality that God has specific things for you to do, and he wants you to do them in a specific way. That when we work well in whatever it is we're doing, we can glorify God, and it can be part of our testimony as a believer. And not only affects you, but affects the people around you as well. So we're going to take a look at kind of the negative example in the positive example from the Proverbs, and then come out with five lessons about work and God's wisdom towards work. So if you uh, open first to Proverbs 24, we're going to take a look at the negative example here. And there's a word that's used somewhat frequently throughout the Proverbs, and that is the sluggard. The sluggard. We're going to look at the negative example of the sluggard in Proverbs 24, verses 30. And 31. It reads, I went past the field of a sluggard, past the vineyard of someone who had no sense. Thorns had come up everywhere, the ground was covered with weeds, and the stone wall was in ruins. Let's talk first about this sluggard and define what this is. Now, the word sluggard is used 14 times in the Bible, and all of them are in the book of Proverbs. So it's not a word we see frequently throughout the Bible. It's not a word we use often in life, but simply defined, it's, it's synonymous with a fool. It's someone without sense. And this is someone who's lazy and active. There's no self-discipline. There's no initiative in their life, and it's not something that's sporadic here and there, but it's really kind of the standard for them. It's habitual. But what we see in verse 30 here is that being a sluggard or being lazy is more than just a character flaw. The words having no sense can also be translated as having no heart. And to have no heart in the Bible, especially when you look at the minor prophets, is not a good thing. It means it's someone who is not walking in tune with God. It's someone likely walking in sin. And destruction is probably just around the corner for them. Being lazy in the Proverbs is more than just a character flaw. It's a moral failure. It's someone not walking in line with God. So what I'm saying is that being lazy is a sin. 
And most sin we think of as the things that we do, the wrong things that we might do. Those are sins of commission. Uh, Being lazy is a sin of omission. It's failing to do the things that you're supposed to do. And in some traditions, they have what's known as the seven deadly sins. Uh, Slothfulness is one of those. And to be clear, the Bible says that all sin is deadly. But they call them the seven deadly sins because these are the ones that have the most destruction in your life. Laziness is something that carries with it great consequence and repercussions. And that's what we see in the second verse we looked at there, verse 31. That lazy people make life really difficult for themselves and those around you. And we see here probably a theoretical example of a farmer in their field. And Solomon walked by and saw the field of a lazy person. To be clear here, the issue is not the field. It's not that it was bad soil or bad seed or bad weather. It's that the one that was entrusted to take care of it was not doing a good job. And the field was illustrating the issues of the problems in that person's heart. And the first thing we see there is that thorns had come up. Thorns had come up everywhere. And this language is really important because it's illustrating the fact that, that this person's heart was not right with God. And they weren't walking in his plans. And if you go all the way back to the fall, when Adam and Eve had sinned, one of the consequences of that sin was that now the ground would be infested with thorns. And that God's plan was for man to work the fields to get rid of the thorns so the fields could be productive. This again is illustrating that laziness is a spiritual issue. That you're rebelling against God's plan by allowing these things to happen. That it was covered in weeds. And the consequence we see here is that a lazy person has multiplied problems. And if you're one that has weeded gardens, you know the easiest time to pick them is when they're small, before they become a problem. But procrastination only intensifies issues, and it makes problems so big that they're hard to even address. And that the stone wall was in ruins, and often these fields would have walls around them, one as a boundary marker, but also to be a, a, to be, to be a place of protection for the land. And it probably got into ruins because this person neglected basic maintenance of these walls, allowed things to kind of fall apart under their watch. And it kind of brings to mind the modern proverb, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Right? Just basic work is going to keep things going. But now it's many times more work to get this done. So the sluggard is someone who walks against God's wills, who intensifies or multiplies their problems, and they allow things to get out of control in their lives, where it not only affects them, but it affects the people around them. It's not instant issues. And it's pleading, Solomon now is pleading with us not to live against God's design because we're creating more problems for ourselves. Because to be lazy is to live in sin. So that's an observation now of the negative example. 
If you go all the way back to Proverbs 6, we're going to see an observation of a positive example, a diligent worker. And here again, he's, he's talking about looking at an ant. Why, why an ant? Couldn't he talk about any of the subject in his kingdom that were working hard? But I think it's purposeful here because the ant is under God's complete control, that all of nature submits to God and, and lives according to his will. And so we read now in, in Proverbs 6, verses 6 through 8, Go to the ant, and this means look, look at the ant. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. So there's some important observations here we can learn from the ant. One is that they are a self-starter. They show initiative, and they have the self-discipline to do things without being told or forced to do them. They have no commander, no overseer, or ruler. Now, a sluggard, a lazy person, is going to have to be poked and prodded. You're going to have to beg with them to do something and maybe even threaten them. For them to get things done. But the ant is one who sees what needs to be done and does it. That's God's wisdom for our lives, is doing what needs to be done without being forced to do it. And that also means planning ahead, doing the work that's needed even beyond today to store provisions in the summer. Now, we often uh, live under the temptation of procrastination. And the old adage for the procrastinator is, why do today what I can put off until tomorrow? And I know in college I struggled with that, where I'd wait until the last possible minute to get my homework done. But Proverbs says that wisdom is doing things at the right time, ahead of time. And this will multiply your results. It says in another part of the Proverbs that a sluggard begs for food at harvest because they didn't plow at planting time. And so a lazy person brings burden to other people. And you might say, why does your lack of planning constitute my emergency? God, said, God says that wisdom is planning ahead and working at the right time. And finally, it's, it's a really being diligent with the time you have, gathering food at harvest. You've probably heard the expression, make hay while the sun is shining. And that means there may be times in your life where you have to go above and beyond because the opportunity and the time is now. If you've ever known a farmer at harvest time, they don't have the ability to take a vacation or to take a break or to say enough is enough. They work until the work is done. And you'll see them harvesting their fields overnight and doing whatever they need to do to capitalize on all of the work that they've put in. Wisdom is knowing what needs to be done and doing it at the right time and with the right amount of effort to get it done. This is the kind of work ethic that Christians should possess. So we're going to talk about five quick lessons as we go through the rest of Proverbs. I want you to open back up 
to Proverbs 24. And wisdom is seeing these examples, observing these things, and then learning from it. Now, after he went past the field of the sluggard, he he wrote in Proverbs 32 that I applied my heart to what I observed and learned a lesson from what I saw. And he gives us the first lesson here in Proverbs 33 and 34. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief, and scarcity like an armed man. So the lesson here from this is that the compromises come slowly in laziness. It might be just cutting the corners one time or taking the extended break, but the consequences when they come will come fast. The first time you are lazy, you may not feel the consequences. But then your habits grow, and it becomes a slippery slope. And when unchecked, the consequences come on you very strong, like a thief or an armed man. You don't know when they're coming, but when they come, there's nothing you can do about it. And you're never quite prepared. We kind of see this if someone is fired from their job. Now, I've been fired from one job in my life. I was 12 years old. It was enough to teach me a really valuable lesson, though. And our neighbors needed help raking their leaves for the fall. And they paid by the hour rather than by the job. And as a 12-year-old, I was starting to figure this out, that I could rake the yard really fast and get paid $5, or I could rake really slow and get $10. And so... Time after time, I was getting slower and lazier in my work. The problem is my brother was also doing it, and he is much faster than me. And it wasn't long after a few weeks, they started only asking my brother to rake the leaves and not me. And it took me quite a while to realize that I had just been fired from my first job. (laughs) But that's how it started, is I just slowed down a little bit each time thinking I'm not harming anyone, I'm just kind of gaming the system here to get extra for myself. But when the consequence came, it came fast. And that's how laziness works, is that it seems harmless up front, but over time, you begin to suffer, and the people around you may suffer. Because we've also talked about in this series that your work ethic and your life status, your financial status, are absolutely related to one another. That lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. And it doesn't mean that if you're poor, that you're for sure lazy, or that if you're wealthy, that you're a, for sure a diligent worker. But for the most part, they are very related to one another. And so if you work hard, good things will come. If you're lazy, consequences will come. And when they come, they come fast. That's the first lesson. Now we're going to stick in Proverbs 26 for the rest of it, if you just flip forward a little bit. We see uh, four verses in a row about the sluggard, and all of them give us good lessons about laziness. 26.13 says that a sluggard says, there's a lion in the road, a fierce lion roaming the streets. 
So the lesson here is that you can always find an excuse to avoid doing the work. And lazy people will find them. And oftentimes, as you read through the Proverbs, you know that they use humor or extreme examples to kind of make a point. And we're getting a multi-pack of them here. But this is showing someone that's gone down the slippery slope of laziness to the point of just making things up to get out of work. So we're not talking about real excuses here. You know, being sick or having a, uh, a legitimate disability of some time or bereavement from a, someone who passed away, but these are illegitimate excuses, and the person making them knows it. And this is ungodly. This person is saying, there's just too much danger out there for me to get out of bed. What, what if something happens? I'm more safe staying here. So they guise this under the idea of self-safety, that I'm making the wise choice, but it's really just a poor excuse. And people who kind of adapt this mentality of always finding a way to get out of the work are, are usually doing more work to get out of the work than just doing the work. But in their minds, these thin excuses become legitimate to them. Now, when I was in college, uh, I had the opportunity to go to the Carver County Fair to represent Crown College, a Christian university. And it was interesting because there they placed us right next to the table of the Temple of Ekinkar, which if you know them, they're kind of a new agey uh, cult uh, based in Chanhassen. And I had some really interesting discussions with the people there. It was kind of slow. Um, but one, one lady I remember... Uh, her story will always stick out to me because they they believe in a lot of different things. I'm not even sure they know for sure what they believe in, but it's basically everything. And she believed that uh, nature can speak to you at any moment. And one day she was going out the door to work and the frogs were kind of chirping in the swamp around her. And she decided that the frogs were telling her that she needed to stay home from work that day because she was too stressed. And so she calls the boss and says, the frogs told me to stay home from work today. They're speaking to me, and so I'm going to stay home. And she went out, as she says, into the, in the front step and said, thank you, frogs, for this. Now, I always wondered where she worked and for how long and uh, what her boss thought about that. But the reality is that when you're looking for an excuse to avoid the work, you will find it. There are endless excuses in the world to avoid work. And at times we have people uh, coming to the church here who are looking for uh, material needs or help and assistance. And I remember, you know, one person saying, I need a job, I need a job. And it's like, you, are you making a plane here? Yes, I need a job. It's like, well, Holiday was hiring. I saw a sign, oh, I, I, I can't do a gas station because of the fumes. Okay, well, Subway, I, I won't do fast food again. Blackwater, no. And it's just like, Thing after thing is, like, I can't do that kind of job. And what we see here through excuses is what's known as self-inflicted poverty, where the opportunity to work is there, but you can find every excuse to get out of it. Excuses can come in many forms, but the Christian knows you need to avoid making them. Be willing to do the work that is needed. And go to the next verse, and we're going to get our third lesson today. To find a proper balance between work and rest. And verse 14 says, As a door turns on its hinges, so a sluggard turns in his bed. 
Again, kind of humorous language, but it's just the idea that they're revolving in their bed over and over again. They might wake up just enough to flip over and sleep again. Now, rest is good. Sleep is good. These are all parts of God's plan. But this is another example of Satan using what is good and twisting it in the wrong way toward evil. And there's some who just can't seem to peel themselves out of bed before noon each day, and they'll snooze their alarm for three to four hours at a time. Wisdom is knowing when enough rest has happened, and then having the diligence to go do the work. Next verse, we'll get our, our next lesson here. Verse 15 says that a sluggard buries his hand in the dish, and he is too lazy to bring it back to his mouth. Again, this person is just sitting at the table. You'd assume the, the food was brought up to them, and they're too lazy to even feed themselves. And our lesson here, as we observe people who are lazy, is be willing to at least help yourself. Now, we all have the opportunity to help many people around us, but if you're not willing to at least help yourself, then you've reached a level of laziness that is hard to come back from. Some people in life need to be metaphorically spoon-fed in everything they do. And here we see an example of someone who needs to be literally spoon-fed to eat. And some, uh, some situations are really frustrating to watch. Where you're, just, you're seeing these things play out and say, could you at least do something and just make a little bit of effort? But some people really struggle with this, where it's pulling teeth with them to even do the most minimal of things. And what I see here exemplified in this verse is the end or the bottom of the extreme slippery slope of laziness, that people would rather starve than even pick their hands up to the plate and feed themselves. Be willing first to at least help yourself, because compromises into laziness can bring you even here. And the last and the final lesson today, as you go to the next verse, is the power of self-delusion when it comes to laziness. You keep an honest view of your work ethic. And nobody knows yourself better than you until you start lying to yourself. And verse 16 says, A sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven people who answer discreetly or answer correctly. In the best case scenario, best case scenario in our own minds at least, is if we are lazy, we convince ourselves and others that we're not. That's the best case scenario in our minds. But what the Proverbs is saying is that is more destructive than anything. The verse before this little section, verse 12, says, do you see a person wise in their own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for them. And there's many ways people try to convince themselves they're not lazy when they actually are. And it might be through comparison of, yeah, I haven't had a job for five years, but at least I'm not living in my mom's basement. 
There's always someone who could be more lazy than you. There's, there's always someone harder working than you, too. But comparison is one of those things that has no value. Know yourself. It might be blame and excuses of others. Of, you know, I, I got, you know, my boss is just really bad, or, you know, my, my knee has just hurt this long, I can't do anything. There's always an issue of everything else around them except themselves. And so they become wise in their own eyes and self-justified. Or maybe it's just an exaggeration of maybe you do a little, but in your mind you've made it into a lot. Nobody understands how much I do, and I'm so underappreciated for all that I do, and in reality it may not be much. The point here is that self-delusion is a powerful tool. And many actually begin to believe their lies as truth. Know yourself. Be honest about what you're really doing. Laziness is destructive. All sin is destructive, but laziness especially is destructive. And and more than just being embarrassed from being lazy is that you can be deceived by yourself. And it brings unnecessary burdens and difficulties to yourself, the people around you. You become a drain on your family and society. And if you're delusional about it, you'll never accept reality. Have a healthy view of your work ethic. Now, that was just a taste of what the Proverbs say. But the point we walk away with here is that work, how we work, how we view work, is absolutely important to us as Christians. It's part of our faith. It's part of our testimony. And God calls us to work well. We also have to understand who did the real work here. And that's what separates Christians from every other major religion, is that we understand that no matter how much we do, even the most excellent and the most praiseworthy things, that it's not necessary for our salvation, that Jesus had done all of the work necessary for us on the cross. Now, we should be the most desirable employees and spouses and volunteers and civic leaders, those looking for workers should be coming to the pastors and saying, let me get more of those Christians who do such a good job working. But we don't do it for us. We do it in thanksgiving and gratitude to the one who's already done it all. And that's the true wisdom about work, is being mindful of Jesus who's already done the most significant work for us. That's what we're going to transition to in our time of communion today as we understand and remember the work that he did for us, that that Jesus didn't need anyone poking and prodding and, and pleading for him. No one, none of us asked Jesus to die on the cross for us. He did so willingly and no obligation. He did it out of love that the Bible says in 1 John 4.10 that this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he first loved us and gave his life for us as an atoning sacrifice. And he did so completely. He didn't go halfway. His sacrifice was more than enough to cover any sin of any person and pay for it in completion. That we cannot add to that, we cannot subtract to it. Christ's work on the cross was all that was needed, and he did not stop until it was finished.
And when he said, it is finished, it was truly finished. We remember the work that Jesus did on the cross for us. We read in Hebrews 10, verses 12 to 14, that when Jesus, when this priest, Jesus the great high priest, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. He rested because all the work that was ever needed to be done was done. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The work of Christ on the cross far outdoes anything we could ever do or imagine to do. Wisdom is knowing first that all of the most necessary work has already been done. And now we work in response and gratitude and thankfulness for everything God has given us. That's what we remember in our time of communion here is the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. Now, if you're new here today, just a little bit about communion, uh, why we do what we do, how we do it. Uh, This is something we do regularly. We do it monthly because Jesus instructed us to do this as we gather. We do it uh, to celebrate among believers. And so this is for anyone who professes faith in Christ. You don't have to be a member here of any kind. So even if you're visitors with us this week, and if you profess faith in Christ, this is for you. And this is also symbolic. This is something that represents the blood and the body of Christ. It's a tool used to point us to the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus. We also understand that this is a humbling moment to think about what Jesus did. The death he he died for us, so undeserving of this, it it should be a a moment that that truly humbles us. And it's a moment that brings us to a place of just saying, thank you. Thank you, God, for all you've done. And so we take a moment of silence just to examine ourselves and to prepare our hearts for this. And this is a time for you just to talk with God, to maybe confess sins in your life. Maybe there's something you've done. Maybe there's something you failed to do. And you need to come right with God. Maybe it's a time you just say thank you, God, for all you've done. But this is a time just for you and the Lord in silence to examine your heart and to prepare yourselves for communion. Let's take that moment together.